Thank you for tuning in to Coppin' with Comic. I'm Brian Coppin, and we're here with comic Chanuk Tessera. Chanuk Tessera, how the hell are you? I'm doing good, man. Thanks good. for having me out. Oh, yeah, it's my pleasure. And then um, up top, where can people find you doing stand-up in New York City? And also, where do they find you online if they're not so lucky to live in this metropolis? <laughs> yeah, you can catch me uh, at QED every fourth Thursday at the Token White Guy Show. Token White Guy Show? What, what, now, what, what is that? Do you have... <laughs> I mean, because that might be a play on the fact that um, people are saying that certain bills have a token woman, a token person <laughs> yeah. of color. Like, what, yeah, that's, why, uh, what, is that's, that that's exactly it, man. Yeah. Uh, and is there a token white guy? Is it is a bunch of people of color and then one white guy? Yep, that's that, exactly it. That is hilarious. Uh, it's called token white guy. Yeah. Okay, and that's the third or fourth? It's the fourth Thursday of every month. Then okay. in February, it'll be the second and fourth Thursday of every month. And then uh, why twice a month in February? Uh, is it going to be twice a month from then on? forward from February, yeah. So they had to add a show uh, because it was that popular. Yeah, it's a pretty good show. You should check it out. Okay. Um, and then fun. And then... Um, and then, who, what, what do you kind of look at when you are? Are you booking for that show? Is it a show you're producing? Yeah, it's okay. me and uh, a good buddy of mine, Vivek Nachikanti, and we basically book uh, people of color, like sexual minorities, uh, women. Uh, and then just always just one straight white guy. And is, so is uh, that straight white guy? Is that guy chosen? I mean, by virtue of him being white and you know, kind of um, being hilarious, or are you just picking it just a random white guy? No, so they it's, just it's look. <laughs> un- so they just look comically unfunny. It's uh, you have it's it's always a funny like a good white guy who's okay. just not like a generic. Uh, we found him on the street, put him on the stage. <laughs> it's always a really good white guy. Like uh, we've had uh, Christian Finnegan's been uh, the white guy for the on the on the show before. It's, oh, cool! Uh, and we're here at QED, so we just saw him upstairs, yeah. or yeah, you know, right saw up yes. Um, and so, how long has that show been running? And when did you decide to add another day? Um, wow! Yeah, the show is about a year old now. Uh, we started back in September of 2018, um, so 2019 was the year anniversary, and then it's been a couple months since then, um, and we just talked to Cambry in the new year, and she was like, let's try doing it twice a month, see how it goes. We were like, wow. yeah, let's, why not? And, and so the shows you've done so far are just, like, packed? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The f- mostly every show has been sold out, I believe. Um so it's it's been it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of good shows. Uh, that audience, I mean, it's so sus- suspect to me. Like people showing up for something right. called the token. <laughs> it's like you know when they did that insidious racism before. It was like they didn't call it the token. What they didn't call the show, you know, token person of color. They just right. did it. It was just very underhanded. So I think it's just hilarious that they would show up for that. And then do, do they buy tickets at the door, or if it's getting too kind of stacked, are you guys selling online in advance at a discount? Uh, we sell online in advance, but uh, most of the time it's sold at the door. We have tickets at the door all the time, and mm-hmm. then. Uh, it usually gets to standing room only at some point. Wow, that must be hilarious. Yeah, it's the energy of standing room only. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, right. there's just uh, it's a smaller room, right? And so standing room only must be super high energy. It gets and tough any... towards the back of the room, but it's it's still a lot of good. It's a good show, good crowd. And you are you always doing your act? Every every kind of it comes yeah. under. You guys have so many great comics on. Right. Sometimes you take a back seat. Uh, sometimes, like most of the time, we'll take a back seat. We're feeling up to it. We'll do a set or two. Um. 
but sometimes I'll do a set. My co-host won't do a set. Sometimes he'll do a set. I won't do a set. Okay. And then shows if it's really packed, we'll do a set just for just for fun. Yeah, um, it's a great room to do your material in. And yeah. kind of what material have you been? Well, well, before we get to that, if people are not lucky enough to be in the New York City area, <laughs> where do they find you online? Because I follow you on Twitter. Are you are you Chinook? Yeah, I'm at Chinook on Twitter and Instagram. It's and at S H E N U S H E N U Q U E. Yeah. Okay. S H E N U Q U E. Yep. That is, uh, that's where you can find me. Uh, I have a website at, uh, it's www.schnooktisera.com. I have all my shows on, on that website. So, uh, um, and it's Tessera, T I S S E R. A. A, sorry. Schnooktisera. Yep. And then, um, what, what other things are you kind of, um, doing? If you're not doing spots on the Token White Guy show right. every second and fourth Thursday, right. Um, where else are you standing up? I uh, also do sketch comedy at the pit. Oh, uh, on a team called Kennedy's Mistress. Okay, and then yeah, how do they how do they pick these kind of? Um, does each sketch team uh-huh. have its own unique voice, and how does that voice kind of develop? Right. So, uh, so Kennedy's Mistress. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So if I were to go see a Kennedy's Mistress show, it'd be different every time because you're throwing out different names and stuff. But what's kind of the common through line of all your shows? Uh, or is there any? I don't think for our shows we have like a common through line. Uh, it's because like every show is like we takes like do a month to make it up, so it's kind of like we just uh, spit out ideas and then the like the five six sketches that are the best of the like the ten we write, we'll put it up through the show on it. Um, yeah, I'm thinking improv. It's not improv. It's sketch. Yeah. And so it's more yeah. like Saturday, Saturday Night Live, but actually yeah. live, and you can see it there at um, exactly on the east side there at the pit, right? That's right. east side. Is yep. that twenty fourth? Yeah, okay. and like Park. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of like, uh, it's like a different muscle of writing because it's not like very like. It's characters. Yeah, you're writing characters. The jokes like aren't really stand up y. Um, and when the yards like very quick, like blackout one second, like couple lines, then boom. And so to be in your troupe, you need to be a good writer and a good performer, or do you have some yeah, people so who are better the, at both, or better at one than the other? Uh, for the pit, they make you do both. So despite, like, if you're on the team, if you're a better writer, you still have to do some acting. Uh, oh, are the regardless. teams teams are organized by the pit? Yeah. So basically oh. you, like, audition through the pit and, like, oh. you have to be selected by a director and then you have three seasons and then, like, you can either move on or, like, reapply and continue on the, that, the whole program uh, or, like, move on to something new if you want to do that. Yeah, or, that's cool. How long have you been kind of doing it through the pit? This is going to be my third season. So it it's technically my last one on this team uh-huh. uh, before I have to like decide if I want to move on or okay. re-audition for another team or something. Uh, it's all figured out. It's not a big deal. It's whatever. And so did, how does uh, kind of writing for sketch or performing sketch inform your stand-up act as far as writing or performing? It definitely helps with act-outs. Like, because yeah. uh, like, your director like really pushes, like well, the one I have now, she's uh, phenomenal, Regina Hill. She is like really good at like pushing you to like where you're uncomfortable as an actor. Which is like a really good space for stand up because like you're putting yourself out there on all, all like all alone and like yeah act outs especially are just yeah very you're, really, it's really taking a, mm-hmm, you're taking a big risk when you're wow. doing an act out so like it's helped a lot and just like oh I'm just gonna try like this face and like noise and see if it works and if it doesn't oh well who gives a shit and how do you practice like that like I don't know if you still do mics or whatever but if the room is you know just a colder room as, a, as opposed to a hot room that's paying perfect attention to facial features right. and whatnot like do you have to adjust whether or not you're going to do act outs if you don't think if people are looking down at their phone or if a check is being dropped right i mean if it's a cold room 
you just go for it. See what happens. It's like if if you're not sometimes like, silence could you know if you're right. talking a bunch, a silence could draw their attention out. Right. Like uh, why is it being quiet now? Like what's going on? They'll look yeah. up. Um, and you have some ridiculous and like, look on your face. Right. And like the people that are like paying attention, if they start laughing hard, people will look up to see what's going on. Oh. So uh, it definitely helps if you're in a cold room to just take a bigger risk than usual. Okay. And then how does it kind of inform your writing, if at all? Um, like writing for sketch translates right. into writing into stand-up. Uh, for stand-up, you kind of like, for me, I, I write the jokes and then like the physicality just comes as I'm performing. Oh, okay. Um, for sketch, it's weird because there's sometimes where like some months I'm like, oh, I'm a better sketch writer than I'm a stand-up writer. Then other months I'm, oh, I'm a better stand-up writer than a sketch writer. Because one is kind of funneling it through sketches, I mean, through mm -hmm. characters. And are you finding that, you know, you, you should be creating certain characters for your stand-up so that you can funnel more interesting writing through it? Do you find that, you know, oh, I've had all the success writing for these kind mm -hmm. of characters in sketch. Maybe I should try a, a certain character like that for my stand-up. Stand uh, no, I actually have never, cause like for me, my stand-up personality is very much, uh, I didn't really try to write that into a sketch character. Okay. Whereas like there are some points of views where I can't write for myself in stand-up, but I can for a sketch. Cause like right. I know an actor who can play this character so well. Yeah. So I can write for that voice. Yeah. Um, so it's, it definitely feels like sketch gives you more freedom to write jokes that you wouldn't normally write as a stand-up. Um, because when you're doing stand-up, you try you're trying to remain Chinook. You're, you're right. not trying to uh, play your play out with your like do a character that's your boss or your mom or your right. dad or something like that. I mean, I mean that's kind of a choice. You could do those things, right. but you find that people are just more. You're just so interesting as a person that people more want to hear about your background and stories and jokes and things. Right. When it's more personal to you, it's more relatable to the audience. And yeah. like, there are definitely times where you can like, you know just say something your mom said or your dad said or something and that can be funny that's definitely it's in my jokes too and you don't have to do that through a character really. right you can just say that hilarious right exactly okay. but in a sketch when you can like play that character with like a mom in like a hyper intensive way yeah uh, for someone that can deliver that so well uh, it comes off so much better and, and, uh, and speaking of, of moms or, or dads or moms and or dads we, we kind of thought about talking about the subject of having kids. What's your interest in that subject, and what's your kind of history? Like, you could have kids already. I wouldn't know. Kind yeah. of like, what's your interest <laughs> in having kids? Are you going to have them or no? I, I definitely want kids. Like, I definitely, definitely want kids. But, uh, man, it just seems such like a hard, like, that's a human you have to take care of. And I just I just watched this documentary literally last night of um, – Madeline McCann, you remember that that whole thing that happened? Yeah, it was a like scandal of some sort. What was it? it was, was it a missing like, kid? Yeah, in like 2007, like this British couple went to um, Portugal to like vacation. And then like they were at dinner and like their kids were like sleeping in their apartment. And like, they'd go back every 20 minutes to go check on their kids. And they went back one time and their daughter was gone. Oh, my Lord. And this whole big case in 2007, like it was a global thing. People were looking for this daughter and like it was like um, – at one point, it was like, oh, this guy, they thought this guy did it. He didn't do it. And they thought the parents killed her. And yeah. They didn't do it. And it's like, this girl was not found. But it's like, it's horrifying. Like, oh, my God. Like, Have they still not found her alive? No, she's still missing. Oh, my gosh. And she hasn't even been she found dead either. Yet. It was, oh it was a huge thing. It was, there was two kids or just her? It was, there were three kids. It and was, they only took her? And they only took her. <laughs> and the, what, what did the kids have to say about this? The other kids? The other kids were just one, they're like one years old. They're like oh, okay. baby twins, yeah. like sleeping. And it's like, learn to talk, dude. We have it, to see if you saw right, anything. Like, what yeah. happened? It was like, but I was like, sleeping at the time. It's crazy because, like, their, their friend was the person that, like, went to check in the room and, like, didn't find the kid. And she was, like, on, like, one of the trips back, she, like, saw a man 
walking from the apartment with like a kid in his hands. Oh like, my didn't, lord! Didn't think it was anything. Like yeah. oh, it was just some guy's kid. Yeah. But like that was probably that like their daughter oh, being taken no. away. And kind of how does that inform your decision whether or not to have kids? Like you could just have a perfect family and just raise your kid right. perfectly and check on her every twenty minutes, and then she could be gone. Right. Is that, no. is that one of the worries you have? Or as a stand-up, are you going? You'd also have to put your ego to the side, I would think, because oh, instead of it being about Chinook, it'd have to be about Chinook's kid. Absolutely. I mean, it's like. I still want kids, but like now it's like oh, I have to like put them on a leash, tie them to my leg. Like that's that's how you live for twenty one years. Like sorry, but like I'm not fucking losing you. Yeah, but then they're gonna turn out like ass, you know. Right. Like if you have them be, right. be too coddled be or too whatever. Too dependent. And, and what so. do you think of my bizarre? Like I have this bizarre theory that okay, everybody thinks having kids is so oh we you know so we're just that kid is so selfish. We have to tend to him every <laughs> every minute of every day, which is true. But the decision to have kids might be selfish to the. It, the parents are selfish in mm-hmm. deciding to have kids because without the kids' consent, and I'm hoping this anti-natalism thing will kind of, given given the whole climate change thing and the importance of consent, people are starting to put together or help to put together the idea that you are subjecting a human to work every day uh-huh. or starve right. for the next 80 years. Yeah. And sure, for the first 16 or the first 18, you are doing that. You know, you're kind of taking care of them. But from, you know, once you make them leave, and as a good Uh parent, you'll make them leave, you know, 18, 20, whatever it is, they're going to have to do all these things because you made this fucking choice. Do you think it's selfish? Oh, that's abs. I think it's absolutely selfish to have have kids right now. Especially like, like, we don't know if there's a guarantee that the world will exist in like 60 years. So it's like. But even if it does, I mean, like, just as a human, like I've had a good life, but it's like, it's still. Right. It's, and because I've had a good life. I can kind of say that even somebody's had a good childhood and good upbringing, like it makes it even less right. pleasurable to go out there and work every day because you just had a great childhood. Right. It's like, oh shit, now I got to fucking go work for the rest of my life. Right. It's fucking still selfish, even if the world is not going to end in 80 years. I think it's, it's, so like for me, it's like, I definitely want to have two biological kids. I also want to adopt like two kids. Well, yeah, that's a little bit less. That's, that's, not, that's selfless. Right, right, right. Yeah. right, right. It's just because like there's so many kids that need a home out there. It's like fucked up to like have kids and not also like take care of somebody like a person that needs it. Yeah. Um, but on top of that, I think like for people of color, especially, it's like almost radical to have children because it's like a fucked up world to like live in as a person of color. Right. And like to have a kid is like, whoa, like... This is a shitty world for that child, especially. Yeah, so it's even like it's even more selfish when it comes to yeah subjecting somebody to a person of color. I mean, subjecting a child who's a person of color to a world that's kind of all white people or something like that. Or, but it could it could also go so fucking bad. I mean, the kid could have right. some, just some disability that's um, you know just I don't know mental or physical disability that could make it even more difficult. And so, but but then also like just some I mean, parents are just fucking awful. Right, but even, like even with disabilities, like you could have a disability and have a great life. That's oh, sure. that's fine. But it's just it's more like, difficult. Right. Yeah. But but regardless of that, it's yeah. like, for me, it's like, I I know, like, I'm in a place in my life where I can give a child, like, a good life. Yeah. Um, for the like, first 18 years. I, right. And, like, I've learned a lot from, like, who I am and, like, being a person of color and, like, living my life. Like, I can help that child, uh, like, grow accustomed to, like, what it is, like, what the difficulties are. Yeah. Um, so, like, for my kid... It's like all hope that like I can help them get to a good place in life where they can oh, yeah. do something better for the They'll world. They'll be prepared, and, and in doing so, right. though, you're making their childhood less pleasurable. So somebody who hasn't been prepared for all that, they uh-huh. just have an idyllic life where they're skipping around, and then life smacks them in the face when they turn 18. You're going to make their first 18 years a little bit less pleasurable because you're going to be like, "Yo, you got to toughen up, kid. Here's how you're going to be treated. You're going to be treated like this." I feel world. like that's like debatable, though. It's okay. like to like teach these kids like these things early on. It was that gonna make their life worse like like had i known like the things i know now as a child 
it would have been a way better 18 years before becoming an adult. Oh, okay. Like, uh, less of a shithead if you had time right, to be a lot shithead. Because, like, there's a lot of, like, when you're growing up as a like, person of color, it's like, there's a lot of, like, self hatred, resentment um, towards your parents. It was like, you're getting bullied for, like, something you can't control. Right. So, like, if you, like, learn to love yourself as a young person, it makes the next, like, 18 years of your life so much easier. Whereas, like, you see a lot of people who've grown up and haven't, like, learned to love themselves and, like, have resentment still towards, like, who they are and, like, yeah. can't accept that. So it's, like, had, like, their parents, and it's not their parents' fault, but it's just, like, living in society, had they learned to, like, love who they are and, like, be okay with, like, if they're queer, if they're, like, a brown person, a black person, whatever they are, if you can learn to love yourself as a young age, that makes life so much easier going forward. Yeah, and it can be, um, but it's just the, the a more focus on those subsequent 80 years. Like, however those <laughs> first 20 years went, like, at some point your parents will kick you out, or, you know, at some point they might move on. You know, they might pass on to their, mm -hmm. uh, their reward, um, but it's just... And especially if you have a good family, right. that passing on makes your life so much more right. difficult than to deal with that. So right. it's like the better your life is early on and the better your parents are, like, it's still going to be shitty at some point. And then, and then if you've had a shitty upbringing, uh -huh. everything's going to be shitty. And so I guess, I guess, you know, we'll wrap it up. But how does this, you know, wanting to have kids or growing up a person of color, mm -hmm. how does that make its way into your stand-up act? Oh, man. Yeah. So, I mean... Uh, if being, I see you, am I going to hear these stories? You're definitely going to hear a lot about, like, being a person of color. Um, I don't really do many kids stuff yet, just because, like, I don't have kids. And, like... Uh, yourself have, as a kid? I mean, do you bring up any of those yeah, stories? Yeah, yeah. I definitely okay. do bring up some stories of me as a kid. Yeah, that definitely happens. Um, and how do you bring that up, like, to make it interesting? Because back <laughs> in the day, it's like... I thought, well, here's a story from my childhood, but mm -hmm. if I keep bringing up these kids' stories, it makes it look like I'm just dwelling in the past. Like, do you kind of just kind of hook it into something current? Like, right. oh, I acted like a shithead, and here's why I think I acted like a shithead. Because when I was a kid, mm -hmm. I acted like a shithead. It's, uh, I think one of the jokes I do is about, uh, like, my, how my dad used to, like, come to all my basketball, like, my CYO youth basketball games, and he'd record them. And like play them back to me to show me how bad I was. Oh my god! Yeah, he was intense about it, man. I, I see. I see. Like a, a, a we were at a band concert or a kid, you know, just a kids choir band concert, and there was a person of color who was taping his kid. Yeah, and I thought, oh, that's a proud parent. But if I found out that the next day <laughs> he's showing all the errors in her singing yeah. or her playing, that'd be fucked up. He was. He was just like, like, dude, like you're not shooting enough. Like I don't. Like I'm not good. Like that's why I'm not <sighs> shooting. Um, but it was funny, man. And then like this one time, he stopped after this one time. Because uh, he played back a tape, and instead of my basketball game, it was my parents' sex tape. No. Yeah. How does the same parent who's taping his child's <laughs> basketball game also tape the sex it and was, then not he like take recorded it over a tape or something and forgot about it? They were all unmarked. That's a great. So that, that's so probably funny. a great joke, right? It's a, it's 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 a really good joke. You're like yeah, it gets a good response. And yeah. So if we wanted to see this on stage, we might be lucky enough to do so at. Well, we can see you doing sketch. At the pit, which is East 30, 24th? East 24th. East 24th. And when's that? Is that a monthly uh, show? Or? It's a monthly show. It's right now, there's a seasonal break. It'll start back up in February, I believe. And then, like, how, how frequent are those shows? And then it's once a month. Oh, um, is it? Okay. So for the remainder of your third year on Kennedy's yeah. Mistress is? 
you will uh, be, you'll do a monthly show. Monthly show okay. starting in February. I'm not sure the date, but and you can find it, the pit. Is it is it like um, Saturday Night Live where you guys will write for uh, several weeks and then uh, you do practices and things? Yeah, it's, it's just so on like, a longer time frame. It's like yeah. every month you're you're writing at the beginning and then exactly. practicing and then performing. Exactly. You have about like four weeks to come up with the show instead of one week for SNL, um, and then you write, rehearse it, and then perform it, and then it's gone. You don't perform it just once, do you? Usually, yeah. Oh my lord! You, you got to go see these once, <laughs> once in a lifetime performances of Kennedy's mistress or mistresses. Mistress. Mistress. I think he had more than one, but that—that's this did. guy's he team is not did. about it's that. It's just—it's just the one. It's just the one. Yeah, the, the very particular <laughs> one that they have in their brain. And so that's at the pit. But then you also your show is Token White Guy. Right. Every second and fourth Thursday at QED here in Astoria, Queens, the best yeah. neighborhood in all of just the world. Absolutely. Okay, cool. And then online, you're at Chinook, which I think is. S H E N U Q U E. Yep. At Chinook. And then, but Chinooktosera.com, they can see all these show dates. Yep. Okay. Thank you so much, Chinook. Thank you, Brian. It's been a pleasure. Oh.